Jesus to Nicodemus, he just simply says, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom unless you are born again. You cannot enter into this kingdom, you cannot see, you cannot fully understand what it means because ultimately they were believing in an earthly kingdom. And they were hoping for Messiah to come and set up a military kingdom, a political kingdom, to free them from Rome. But Jesus was coming to free them from something far greater. To free them and all of us from ourselves and give us kingdom citizenship. Pastor Martin dives deeper into this topic in his new sermon series. Follow along in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, and listen as Pastor Martin explains. Now, the psalmist says that let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So then we understand that everything that breathes has the capacity to praise the Lord. He says, let him do so. But the benefit and the blessing we have is that our praise flows out of worship because worship is our knowledge of who God is and our acknowledging who he is then causes us to then praise him. So I know him to be a keeper. That's who he is. So because he is a keeper, then he keeps. And so I praise him because he's kept. See, understand that all of this comes together to help us to understand what it means when we choose to praise God, when we make it our business to praise God. The psalmist also said that when we come into these gates, we should enter into these gates with thanksgiving and into these courts with praise. He then goes on to say, be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. Not trying to be, he is. And even when I don't think that what's happening in my life is good, it didn't change that he's good. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to every generation. But we want to talk today about citizenship because it's important to understand who we are, and as, as it's stated oftentimes, and whose we are. And the key is in understanding who we are and whose we are then helps to inform how we are. I want to say that again. When we, when we recognize whose we are, and then who we are, then it also informs how we are. Because when we think about any citizen, every person is born or legally born, in, or born into a, a country uh, citizenship by birth or coming into that comes into that citizenship through birth. So it's not surprising that Jesus said to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto you that you must be born again because it's by birth that citizenship happens. So when we think about this, uh, every person that comes into citizenship of a nation, they have all the rights and the privileges that comes with that status. But it's also to understand that there's also uh, a need for that person to begin to adapt or adopt the culture of that citizenship. A person that comes into the United States who's not a natural born citizen goes through a process and as a part of that they're they're called to learn certain things or begin to understand what it would mean to be a citizen of the United States. So as we talk about this today, it's important because when we think about what Paul is saying to us here today, he actually speaks to, he starts out by declaring our citizenship. And I've told this story before so I'll tell it again. 
There was a gentleman back when I was in Indianapolis who was a tailor, and we would go to him often to get alterations. And he was Greek. He still had a very thick accent. You would have thought that he literally had just moved here from Greece. His name was Christ, but I just couldn't bring myself to call him Christ, so I just called him Chris. As we would talk, he had maps on the wall of Greece. He had pictures of Greece. As we got to know him better, I found out that, that Chris was 63 years old, but had only lived in Greece for three years. But because he was born there, he understood that he had an allegiance to Greece. So ultimately, I began to understand what does it mean for me to be a citizen of heaven, realizing that, yes, I was born into this world, into this kingdom, this earth kingdom, but now that I've been born again, I am now a citizen of heaven. And so just as Chris kept in mind Greece, I got to keep heaven in my mind. So one day we got excited. Well, he was bouncing around. He was excited. Didn't know why he was so excited. And then I inquired. I said, Chris, you seem to be in a, in a good mood. He says, because I'm going home. Now, I thought about this for a moment because having lived there just three years, he's 60 years old, 63 years old. He's been here most of that time. But he still identified with something about going home. See, when, when we think about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, we have in mind that one day Jesus will come back and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you that when I have prepared that place, I will come again to receive you that you may be where I am. See, one day we will go home, but you got to keep your mind set on getting. Oh, I love the Wizard of Oz. I love the Wizard of Oz. The entire time, no matter what happened, the good and the bad, Dorothy kept saying, I got to get home. Because no matter what was going on, she realized that her goal and her objective was to get home. So today as we talk about citizenship of God's kingdom, there's a few things that I want to share. I want to start with last week as we, as we shared Jesus to Nicodemus. He just simply says, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom unless you are born again. You cannot enter to the kingdom. You cannot enter into this kingdom. You cannot see. You cannot fully understand what it means because ultimately they were believing in an earthly kingdom. And they were hoping for Messiah to come and set up a military kingdom, a political kingdom, to free them from Rome. But Jesus was coming to free them from something far greater, something that, that had eternal ramifications. He was coming to free them from sin. His opponent was death, hell, and the grave. He was coming to conquer that he may offer eternal life. Now, this term kingdom, I know that here in the United States, uh, we don't necessarily understand kingdom because 
we, as uh, has been stated before, we are a nation that exists as a rebellion from a kingdom. When our settlers came, they came to get away from the monarchy of England, and they wanted to uh, establish their own. So remember the Declaration of Independence, that we're no longer going to depend on, but that was always the plan. So when we talk about kingship, it's important to first start to define what that means. So I'm going to share a few definitions today to help get us established so that it helps us all. The first thing when we define kingdom is a political organ politically organized community or major territory a unit that have a monarchical leadership. Because it's important to understand that there is a mono leader. Monarchy speaks of just one. We have one king, and it's always important because one of the things that as pastors we have to always be careful to not do is to try to set up our own kingdom in the church. <laughs> Don't be offended, but you know you grew up in one where you had the big king chairs up, up in the... <laughs> and notice the pastor, he didn't clap his hand, he didn't wave, didn't even bat his eye, he just sits there waiting. Waiting for my turn. So it's important because in any kingdom, anyone who sets up a kingdom is treason. So it's important to not lord over God's people because Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, I came to. So servant leadership is kingdom leadership because the king showed us the way. The next part of the definition is a realm or region in which something is dominant. Because oftentimes when we are coming into relationship with Christ, what's dominant in our life is our own will. What do I want? How do I want this to, do, to go? And what do I want this to do for me? So in the kingdom, there's something else that's dominant outside of us but it's also an area or sphere in which one holds a preeminent position. That Christ must be preeminent in our lives if we're going to understand kingdom, that we understand he is the one who is preeminent. Then when we talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, those two terms, don't mis misinterpret that. That's, those are terms that are used interchangeably. And they're synonymous. They're talking about the same kingdom. There's not, there's not a kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. They're all one and the same. And we understand this, and it's oftentimes capitalized to help us to understand that it's denoting something that is distinctive. Now, it's important because I noted this a couple weeks ago, and I'll do this again today, that when we look at this, that these two terms being synonymous, we look at some of the gospel writers, and they use the terms interchangeably. If you look at this, and please note this today because it's important to understand that we're not talking about two different kingdoms, it's just one. So Mark and Luke use the term kingdom of God. And then Matthew used the kingdom of heaven. But both are, but in each, in either case, they're talking about the same scenes or the same particular episodes in the ministry of Christ. So when we think about that, they're using these interchangeably. Thus, we say that these are 
synonymous terms that are used interchangeably. Now, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, broadly speaking, we're talking about the, the universal reign of God, the reign over all things. So, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So, it all belongs to him. But then we talk more narrowly, we're talking more specifically, and these are, this is more in, intentional about uh, the references we find in the gospel because there we're talking about the kingdom of God, which is a reference to a spiritual realm in which God reigns over the hearts of men, over the will of men. Earlier, Brother Tim prayed, he says, God, forgive us for things that we've did or done, the things that we planned on doing that we didn't quite do, and even the stuff we just thought about doing. Because, you know, sometimes our thought life gets away from it, doesn't it? You ain't been there, but you've been there. You didn't go there, but you went there. How many people you done slapped? How many headlocks you done put on somebody? And husband walked away. What'd you say? Nothing, nothing, dear. Just um, trying to figure out what this is over here. So it's important to understand that God is preeminent, and therefore we must look to Him as the one who is most dominant in our lives. Now, there's one other reference that, that we find in Scripture when we talk about the kingdom, and that is actually when Christ comes back and reigns on the earth a thousand years in the millennium. But, 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 but here, when we look at the Gospels, the references are more so for the spiritual realm or the spiritual kingdom that Christ Jesus came. So, I want, that, that brings me to the first point. I know there was a lot of things like, oh, man, preach, pastor. Well, I already started. <laughs> but I want to get to my first point because I want to, to, to establish something that I believe will help us as we navigate the rest of this message. When Jesus, the first point today is that when Jesus resurrected, his final instructions were only about the kingdom. He only instructed. He didn't go around healing the sick and raising the dead. He had already proven all that. He taught about the kingdom. Let me show you this. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, that's where we find the Great Commission, the Great Co-Mission, where we're collectively supposed to mission for Christ. The Great Commission there in verse 18, Jesus declares his kingship because he stands up and says, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. So he declares in verse 18 his lordship and his kingship. Now in verse 19, then he commissions the kingdom work. Go ye therefore, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the earth. So he declares his kingship, and then he instructs the kingdom's work or the kingdom's mission. But this I need you to turn with me because I want you to read this for yourself. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, Luke, after he finished his gospel, he felt like he needed to go beyond that, so he then wrote the Acts of the Apostles which is great because it helps us to see the foundation of the church. But there's something that he says here that I want you to see because Luke says, 
and affirms what I just said, that all Jesus taught after he resurrected was the kingdom. In verse 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostle, apostles whom he had chosen, Verse 3 says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, here it is, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That entire time that Jesus was here on earth before he ascended back to heaven, he spent that time teaching the kingdom. It's important because if we are in a kingdom, if we are citizens, it's important to know what that kingdom looks like. But it's also important to know what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. So my next point today is that the first century church, they actually had kingdom perspective. I want to show you something. So Paul, uh, there's four writers in the New Testament that I want to share with you how they describe themselves. First, I'll start with Paul. The apostle Paul described himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Here's how James, the brother of Jesus, wrote. He says, I'm a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter, here's how he described himself. He is a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then Jude, another brother of Jesus, wrote a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. So he wanted to make it known that, that I'm one of Jesus' brothers too. But he says, I'm a brother of Jesus, a natural brother, but a servant or a bondservant to Jesus the Christ. So we understand they understood because they're using terminology that is related to being brought into a kingdom to serve. But they also preach the gospel. They preach the kingdom. Because when we look at Acts chapter 8, there's several cases. I won't have you turn there, but I will reference these, and I'm going to read them for you. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, But then when they believed, Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Philip preached the kingdom, and people believed on Jesus and were baptized. Here's another case, Acts chapter 19 and verse 8. And when he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly, Paul went into a synagogue and spoke for three months. And here's what he said, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom. For three months, Paul spent time every day teaching the kingdom. Acts chapter 28 and verse 31, preaching the kingdom and teaching the things which concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbid him. This is where Paul has actually been arrested and is a prisoner waiting for his final trial. And the Bible says that he's out preaching still the kingdom. So they had a perspective of the kingdom, that they were citizens of the kingdom. Here's another thing to note, because it's sad 
that far too often within the church, we are more worldly-minded than we are kingdom-minded. Because when we think about this, we take our cues oftentimes from the world rather than from Scripture. Right now, if you just go on your, your Twitter feed, you're going to hear all this talk about all your haters and all these haters you got it. How many haters? What did Jesus, what does the kingdom say about haters? It says pray for them. The feed doesn't say anything about praying for them. It says get away from them. Silence them in your life. Here's what's curious about me, though, curious to me, because where are all these haters? I mean, where are, where are these folks hating all the time? I don't know. Most people have somebody that wants them to do something, right? You may have a few folks that say, but, but like the whole world is hating me. And, and here's another one. They said I would be nothing. It's just some very tragic situations where somebody says, you ain't going to be nothing. But most of the time, that story is not a broad story, is it? Your mother and father, they're trying to, they even told you you were doing good when you weren't. <laughs> yesterday, 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 he's going to see this later, but I'm, I'm going to still share it. Yesterday, little George, they had a, you know what, well, maybe I shouldn't tell it because he don't know. I don't think he knew the score. I'll tell it. He's going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday, they had, a, they had a, a, a flag football game. And so, it, I'm competitive. I, I, you know, I, I don't. I, I understand we're all there to participate, but I don't want to play a game to participate. I want to win it. <laughs> so we're out there within the first two, the first play, touchdown. I was like, oh, okay, we, okay. The next five minutes, another touchdown. I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's getting out of hand. When it was all said and done, they, they lost by like 60, 60 to nothing, right? <laughs> so we walk, he's excited. He comes over, he's like, yes. He says, uh, I said, well, George, you did pretty good, man. You know, you, you snatched the flag off the young man, and you did that, and you almost had an interception. You almost called a pass, too. You know, I'm like, oh, trying to build him up. He said, yeah, daddy, we did a great. We had an awesome game. <laughs> he said, daddy, didn't we? I said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, this is um... <laughs> we. <laughs> Yeah, man, y'all running and jumping and passing. <laughs> but we have to understand that that's not new to us. Jesus said that all that will live godly were going to suffer. You're going to have people that are not going to be happy that you want to serve Jesus. But that shouldn't, that shouldn't surprise you because you're not of this kingdom. See, we, went, we, we were traveling in Europe, and, and we, were, we were in, uh, uh, in Italy, and so uh, we stopped. We, we needed to get, get a train, and so we'd asked the gentleman. There was a language barrier, and we were trying to understand. He was trying to understand us, and we, we gathered that the train, he was telling us the train we needed would be on the track out to the left. And so my wife went and looked up at the sign. And she saw something she thought was different than what he said. So she went back and started. And I wasn't over there, so I didn't hear Sister Mary Lee. So I don't know what she said, but whatever she said to me. I said, what'd you say to that man? 
She said, I was just trying to get clarity from him. So he wouldn't even talk to us. So now we don't know what train to get on. And he's the only person to tell us that, oh, Lord. I said, you know, we, we from the United States. We don't know where to go. Help us out. We sat, so we go, to stand, we go and stood out there. And we were waiting. And God sent, God always has a ram in the bus, doesn't he? There's a gentleman that got off the train and had a uniform on. And I approached him, I said, sir, do you speak English? He said, yes. I said, here's the problem. We need to get back so that we can board the ship, but we can't get any instruction. Can you help us? He says, well, the train you need to be on is the one right there, and it was pulling off. <laughs> I said, honey. <laughs> so then he says, however, there's a train that's going to be arriving on this track. Stay right where you are. Get on this train. It's not going to the city you need to go to, but it's going to pass through, so you need to pay attention. See, at that point, I was not a citizen of that kingdom. Because had I been, they would have treated me differently. But because I have an advocate in heaven, he sent somebody who would make sure because he's the one taking care of me. So the key is understanding that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. Because Paul says our citizenship is of heaven. So let's talk a little bit about citizenship. The definition is a relationship between an individual and a state to which the individual owes allegiance and in turn is entitled to its rights, privileges, and its protection. See, because I'm a citizen of heaven, I wasn't a citizen of Italy, so I couldn't get the gentleman to be more gracious towards me, but because I'm a citizen of heaven, heaven stepped in on my behalf. So because I have that citizenship, it mattered most. So the primary means, obviously, is through birth, as we've already stated. So each one of us, having been born into the, to, uh, this kingdom, this state, the United States, are citizens. Those that come in, they, they can become citizens, they can be naturalized citizens, but but, but ultimately, there's, there's a means by which we come into this space to be citizens. So here's a note. In the earth, you can naturally become or naturalize into citizenship. But I want to make sure that you understand that you cannot be naturalized into the kingdom of heaven. Because here's what happens when, you, when you're naturalized. You, you accept whatever the creed is. Remember, uh, remember was at first, I don't know if, I don't know if Texas did this. We had to, we had to recite the, the, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Did y'all do that? Because I've, I've discovered that, that, that Texas was its own country at one point, and, and, and so <laughs> I, don't know what y'all, I don't know what they told you to do at school, but we had to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic. See, y'all don't even know it. Y'all didn't, they didn't tell y'all to do it down here. Y'all like, well, to the republic, uh, the, and to the republic, for which it stands, 
one nation, not Texas by itself, under God, individually, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So, 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 so you can naturalize into that. But Jesus said to Nicodemus, there is no naturalization into the kingdom of heaven. This is important because you can't go to heaven because mama may go. You can't go because your husband might be saved. You have to be born again. Each one of us has to accept Jesus Christ for ourselves. As much as I love my children, as much as I love my wife, I'm training and teaching and introducing them to Christ, but they have to make a decision to accept him as their Lord and as their Savior in order to be born into this kingdom. It's important because, you know, my mama was Missionary Johnson. My daddy was Bishop Stevenson. Yes, yes. But you better know Jesus for yourself. <laughs> you know all the bishops, and you know who all they are, and all the elders, but you better know Jesus the king. And wait a minute, he better know you. Because <laughs> you know, you know, you can learn, you can learn about a subject. You can learn a subject. My cousin was in, my cousin was on a trip and he saw Shaq. Shaq's a big guy, he's a big, playful guy. He's a nice guy, right? So my cousin was like, hey, what's up, Shaq? So he went up on him. He's like, hey, he said, hey, man, I don't know you. <laughs> he said, yeah, but I know, man, I know you. I know all of us. He said, yeah, you know me. You know about me, but you don't know me, and I don't. So you must not marvel that I'm saying to you, you must be born again. So here we go. So now we're back to what Paul says. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. He says, Paul says, we're eagerly waiting for the Savior, Jesus Christ, to come back and to fulfill his promise to take us home take us home to be with him. Paul also says it this way in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, he has delivered us from the powers of the darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He says, God has conveyed us. He has given us the right and the privileges of being citizens of heaven, even though we came and we were alienated from God. We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We came into the world, enemies of God, alienated from him. But God, through the love and the salvific plan of Christ, that he worked and fulfilled through Christ, has brought us into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said it this way. He says, they are not of this world, even as I'm not of this world. So, so really he's saying, and we've, we've heard it said before, we're in the world but not of the world. This is a message that we need to remind ourselves of because anymore it's hard to make a distinction between the person who says they know Jesus and the person who doesn't. Because we have people who 
are confessing Christians but don't exhibit Christ's likeness. And if you, if you question it, they'll cuss you out. You, uh, 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 how you know who I know, Jesus? <laughs> well, kind of because you just cussed me out. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Maybe something in the Word says you, you, old things have passed away. You just cussed me like old things. <laughs> See, he says, John 17, 16, he says, they are not of this world just as I'm not of this world. That's why he was stressing with Nicodemus, you must be born again so that you can be of the kingdom of heaven. And being of the kingdom of heaven as a citizen of, kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven, then again, it's supposed to influence how we are. Third point for the day. We represent Christ and are to complete the work that he started. As representatives of Christ, here's how Paul described it. He, he Paul described us as ambassadors. He says that we're ambassadors. In, 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 in first, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says, for now we are ambassadors for Christ. So notice he's using kingdom terminology. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore in Christ's, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled back to God. He said the kingdom's agenda is to get others in relationship with God. It's important for us to understand that because when we think about the definition of an ambassador, one part of that definition says it's an authorized representative or a messenger. That's the first one. The second part of that is it's an, an official envoy, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or a fo or sovereign as a re re resident representative for his or her government or sovereign, appointed for a special and oftentimes temporary, temporary diplomatic assignment. Do you realize that we are God's ambassadors, special envoy, given responsibility to carry this good news and to exhibit the transformational power of God in the earth because we're here to represent him as foreign ambassadors. Which is why we can't be so enamored with trying to be like the world that we forget our assignment. I'm not here to be the world. I'm here to be an ambassador to the world. My last point, I know you guys are tired of all this kingdom talk. My fourth and final point is we are called to maintain kingdom perspective. I told you the first century church had perspective, had kingdom perspective. And we're called to maintain our kingdom perspective. I want to share something with you because we, let's go back to this, this, this Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. See, this idea of eagerly waiting for Jesus' to return, 
The key is that we must understand that because we are here, and notice that the, the, the definition was a temporary assignment. We have to recognize that we are here, but we're not home. Let me help you out. I love to travel. And so when we travel, oftentimes we'll try to find one of those uh, hotels that's got a, a little kitchenette and, you know, dishes and all of that. So we'll, we'll stay in one of those places. And it feels just like home. We may cook there, we may eat there, we may sleep there, we may watch television there, we may play games there together, and it feels like we're right at home. We take our shoes off, we relax, and we find ourselves making ourselves at home or comfortable, but at no point in time do we misinterpret what's happening to be home. Here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. You have now, you have matriculated through your job and your career and school and you bought a home and you got cars and you're raising children and you've got grandchildren and you've got an investment, you've got retirement, you've got all these things that are going on. You have all these things, you own property, you own possessions, and you got all this stuff that feels just like home, but you got to understand you are a citizen of another place and that you're not at home. So no matter how it feels like home, remind yourself it's just like home, but I ain't at home. because I'm eagerly waiting for my king to come back. Because the Bible says that the, the sky, he's going to ascend in the sky, and the trumpet will sound, and the angels will gather, and we who remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. See, I'm anticipating that day. While I make myself at home, I remind myself I'm not home. Because he goes on to say in verse 21, for he has transformed our lowly body that it may be conformed to his, his glorious body. That one day, Paul says that this corruptible will put on incorruption. And this mortal, this, this body that's ever getting old, anybody getting old in here? Woke up the other day. I'm just 51, but woke up the other day Like, what happened? <laughs> Brother, the day was testifying about a sciatic nerve. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> My wife said, what is this? I had to, Brother Joe had to slide out of the bed. I was like, what? <laughs> but, but by noon, it was fine, Brother Jerome. I was all right. <laughs> but it's just something happened. It's, it, it, just tell, it just reminded me that, hey, every day you're getting a little older, right? So with that said, he says, but this mortal body, must put on immortality. So the key is, I must be reminded that I'm in a kingdom, but I'm not of that kingdom. So it's a matter of perspective. So I want to share a few things with you, and I understand this. Now, I'm going to share some perspective that may not be yours, but it may be all of ours at some level. More severe in maybe one case or another, but I want to share these, and I want to share you a contrary or a contrasting perspective 
that's common in the world, but I also then want to share a kingdom perspective that contrasts with that. So here's a contrasting perspective. And again, to varying degrees, I'm keenly focused on getting what I need from the Lord, never mind others. Now, I say, I, I get it. I, varying levels. But you know good and well, if, watch this now. Somebody jumps out of that room and say, fire! You ain't going to gather up nobody. You're going to be like, hey, brother, come on. Brother, brother and sisters, let's just go. <laughs> out the door, right? But also when it comes to even how we come to God, we're more committed in prayer when we're praying for what we need. And we pray over what somebody else needs. So there's varying degrees. I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not condemnation. I'm just telling you that this is a general perspective, right? Help me, Lord. But here's how the, the perspective of the kingdom. How can I share the love and joy I have experienced in Christ with others? See, we see that when we say, hey, we're going to, have you shared the gospel with anybody? Well, you know, I be trying to. I be trying to. Right? But, you know, I'm, I'm getting around to it. I got mine. Never mind others. Say, hey, that brother you know, the brother you hang out with, you know he ain't saved. You chop it up with him just like he chops it up with everybody else. He needs some light in his darkness. The folks that you like, ha, 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 my brother who don't know Jesus I come to get what I need Jesus you're saving me never mind others here's another perspective well, 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 well you know if I did this let me stop because if I did this and didn't put some word on y'all just up there talking a Bible church. What a Bible on this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of let this mind be in you that Jesus had. If we're in the kingdom, he's our king, he's guiding us, then I got to be concerned about the souls of men that are around me. Here's another one. Contrasting perspective. Again, to varying degrees. How can my local church serve my needs and the needs of my family? What does this church do for people over here? Before I put my membership here, I want to know what y'all do. <laughs> Who you here? What you here? do? What you do for members when they get here? You know what it is. I'm a card-carrying member of Amity Bible Church. <laughs> then made your own card at home. Hey, we, we got none. We don't issue any cards, but you're a card-carrying one. You got, you got yours in your wallet, yeah. So, but here's the kingdom perspective. How can I serve Christ and edify his body through my local church? 
Yes, yes, you can have them both. You can have a church that, that ministers to you, your family, and, and feeds you and nurtures you, but that, it doesn't stop there. The kingdom perspective says, how can I serve God, edify his body through my local church? How do I do that? Well, pastor, you know I got my own ministry. I got a Kroger ministry. When I'm in Kroger, sometimes I talk to people and I'm in line. Okay, that's all it is? Yeah. Well, I do that too. Maybe I got a ministry too. I got a Kroger ministry, Walmart ministry. I didn't got, I got Tom Thumb ministry. I got Dick Sporting Good ministry, 7-Eleven ministry. I guess if it's just talking to people when I'm in the store. But look what the Word says. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. He says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which with God supplies, that, all, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Oftentimes, we say we've got things we're doing for God, but we're really doing it for ourselves. We don't want to do it at the church because there's not enough recognition. Because I want my name on it. This ought to be G.D. Martin Jr.'s Ministries. But here's what Peter says. He says, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. Yes. Did I read it right? First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God, and if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. God is the supplier, so I'm just a vessel, so I can't take all the credit. I can't... I can't be the one out front because I got to be the one behind. Wait a minute. See, because here's what Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow who? I need to be out front all the time. Because God, as God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. I'm almost done. I know this is like a, a pair of shoes that's two sizes too small, but we got we to gotta wear these today. I'm almost done. You're going to kick them off in a minute. Put your slides on. The slide ministry going on. Here's the last one. Here's another one. Con here's a contrasting perspective. I have my faith, I have my Bible, I have my worship playlist, and those I follow on social media, I don't need to gather with others. 
I have my faith, my Bible, my worship playlist, and those I follow, I don't need to gather with others. See, what you have to understand is that the whole relationship in Christ is a receiving relationship. Do you realize that when you guys come, you come to receive, you don't know how God's going to use me. You don't know how God's going to speak. You don't know what songs God's going to use to encourage you. So you come to receive. When you're the one dictating everything, you're only going to play the sermon you want to hear. You're only going to listen to the songs you want to hear. You're only going to follow the folks you want to follow. But when God says, I need you to come that I may put you in the receiver position, that way you, he knows what I need when I don't fully know what I need. Because if, if you be honest, think about this, you know, children, children, you, you, you give, we, 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 I try to be a gracious father. I was driving home, I'd been at the church all day, and I swung in the pop shelf and I got the, the girl some candy. And I told him when I gave it, I said, girls, listen, this is a treat, it's not a meal. Eat a few pieces, put it away. I go upstairs, I come back down, there's paper everywhere. I say, hey, what, what, what? Uh, uh, you didn't say how many. I, I, I didn't say the whole bag either, did I? Because ultimately, they only want to eat the sweet stuff. Only want to get the stuff that may not benefit them at all. So God puts us in a position to receive because if you're in control, you're only going to eat all the candy of the preaching. You're going to have your whole list of candy, candy messages, sugar messages. You're going to become a spiritual diabetic. <laughs> going to need you some insulin because you're going to be full of sweet. So let me give you the, con the, 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 the kingdom perspective. <laughs> Here's the kingdom. The kingdom perspective, we gather regularly with other believers to hear, to serve, to be encouraged, and to encourage one another. See, gathering is not just about you. Sometimes you're here for somebody else. Somebody needs to see that you are still on the way. But here's how the writer of Hebrews said, he says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. He said, don't just be concerned about what's... It. Pastor, you know, with, with, with COVID, I got so used to being on the couch. Well, get unused to it. <laughs> we have to gather for one another's sake. Because somebody, I can remember to this day, there were men and women that every time the church I grew up in, when I would come and see them there, I remembered that the Bible says that the race is not given to the swift or the strong, but he who do 
forward. So I would see them and do it. I would see those men grow old and get gray hair, still trusting Jesus. See those old ladies that used to run and tiptoe, and now they're walking gingerly and slow, and know that they were still trusting God. Because then he moves on. He says, so notice this, let us consider one another. Notice this now, because we always quote 25, but we leave 24 out. 24 says, consider other people, one another. Then it says, not forsaking the assembling. Don't, when you think about your coming, it's not just about you, it's about somebody else too. Amen. Not forsaking the assembling ourselves together, as the manner of some is but exhorting one another. And here's the key. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you realize we're, we're less likely to come to church and we're watching the world changing around us that says Jesus is on his way? We can see the evidence of him coming near and yet we are lacking or slacking rather than pressing. He says we're supposed to do more when we see that Jesus is coming, not less. He says, and all the more, so much more, as you see the day approaching. Guys, do you realize the foundation of humanity is in the Garden of Eden? God made man and he made woman. We're now broadly accepting statements that say God made a mistake. But I hear God saying, kind of like what he said to Job as Job was trying to, to, to reconcile why, because he felt like God had made a mistake letting all this trouble on him. He said, he said God, how do you let all this happen to me? He said, where were you, Job? when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you, Job, when I threw the stars in the sky and named them? Where were you when I did all of this? So how can you tell me that I made the mistake? But we're seeing evidence of broad change. And it's not that these things didn't always exist because sin has always been in the world. So just because it exists doesn't mean, and it's always exists, doesn't mean that that means it's okay. Because since Adam, we've been fallen. Since Adam, we've been in this flesh that's weak. But as we begin to see broad shifting, broad embracing of ideologies that don't agree with Scripture, it reminds us that the day is approaching. So he says, as you see the day approaching, so much the more. I know this is a touchy situation because these are subjects that we're all wrestling with. I had a situation, I'll tell you, I'll share with you just testimony. It was, uh, it was a little embarrassing because I had, I, I, was, I, I was, you know, I, I like to use analogies and use examples, and I'll call names from the audience. And so I, you know, one Sunday, I'm preaching, Brother Clan, and so what I believe to be a young lady and, a, and her child sitting on the, here, the end of the pew, I said, so just like this young mother here, and so 
she's caring for the baby. My mom was like, So after service, she said, uh, you know that was your cousin Justin? I said, where? He here today? She said, no, the, the, the example you made with the, that was your cousin. <laughs> so we all have to reconcile what we feel with what we know. What we know is God is the author. Jesus is the author and the finisher. Just because I struggle with somebody I love doesn't mean it changes the truth. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.